Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here, and today marks the first day of Holy Week. Uh, what that means is that this is the day that we begin to remember, celebrate, mourn the week that Jesus is about to experience. That begins on Palm Sunday, and uh, the, our whole focus of Holy Week is how God has embraced us, reached out to us, loved us, given for us, and uh, our opportunity to respond to him. This morning we have a, a special testimony. Um, Rick Adams is going to come and share, and over the next few weeks we're going to have some other testimonies as well. And uh, Rick, if you'll come on up. And through this time, I hope that you will spend Holy Week considering how much God loves you. Oh, how he does love us. And if you need a moment to just let that sink in, no matter what's going on in your life or where you've been, how much God loves us. Rick, thank you. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick Adams. I'm Jewish, and although I had never gone to a synagogue, I was taught that Jesus was just an ordinary man. So it wasn't until 1987, when I was 36 years old, that I even considered attending a church. That's when we adopted our son, Shane. He was six years old. Helen was born and raised as a Christian, and she wanted Shane to learn about Jesus and what he has in his way of life. So Helen and Shane started attending Sanibel Community Church. I would occasionally go, but not very often. I knew that I wanted Shane to learn about God and religion, but I wasn't interested in that for myself. On one of the Sundays in May of 1992, when I did attend, I was asked to join a men's Bible study. I did feel that there was something missing in my life, and I had never read the Bible, so I said yes. The more we studied the Bible, the more I realized that this Jesus was not an ordinary man. He was someone extraordinary. In September of that year, our men's group did a program called John Wesley's Great Experiment. It was a 30-day program. It went like this. We each signed a covenant, and for one month, I will commit to meet, each, meet once a week in a small group to pray together and to learn to pray. Two, give two hours' time each week to the church. Three, give God one-tenth of my earnings during the month. I certainly was not doing that. Four, spend a half an hour each morning in prayer and meditation. Five, plan a daily, unexpected, and unpaid act of kindness that you're going to do. And the last is witness to others about my experience. By the end of that 30 days, I had accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. In the next, in the next couple months, I joined Helen's church and was baptized. I also learned there were many church members that were praying for that Jewish husband of Helen's who was never at church. Those prayers were answered, and that was my introduction to what it means to be a member of a small group in the body of Christ. I've either been in a small group or facilitated a small group ever since. A very important thing I realized was that it isn't about religion. It's about a relationship, a relationship with our Creator who loves us and wants the very best for us, a Creator who loves us so much, and especially remembering this week, that he sent his son to die a horrible death on the cross for our sins. 
for my sins. My life hasn't been the same since. It's amazing the things that I thought were important back then compared to now and how selfish I was back then compared to now. I learned the world doesn't revolve around me and my needs. I had a pretty fiery temper back then. I also thought Helen and I had a pretty good give-and-take marriage. The problem was Helen did most of the giving, and I did most of the taking. But Jesus will change you if you let him. These past years of knowing him have been the happiest years of my life. I look forward to serving him and pleasing him. If you ask me if my life has been easier because of him, I would have to say no. But I would also have to say I know he was always with me and will never forsake me. He will definitely move you outside of your comfort zone if you let him, like me doing this right now. But he will also equip you and prepare you for the things that are next, the things that you feel are beyond your abilities. In 1998, Helen and I became friends with a couple, a, new, a couple that was new to our church, Mark and Veronica. Then about 10 months later, Veronica was diagnosed with an advanced form of cancer. And within five months, she died, leaving behind an 8-year-old daughter, Melissa, and a 15-year-old son, Christopher. She was 41 years old. During Veronica's illness, she asked Helen to help in raising her children. And Helen and I talked about it. We agreed to do as she asked figuring this would be for three months. We'd help Mark on the weekends, you know, sometimes during the week. Well, Mark decided to move, and not just out of town, out of the country, to Vienna, Austria, to be with his new girlfriend. This was six months later. And the kids hated the idea of leaving, but Mark didn't care, and he was going anyway. But he did agree to let them stay with us for three months to get used to the idea of moving out of the country. Agreeing to let them stay with us for three months was a stretch for us as Shane was close to graduating high school and Helen and I were looking forward to some alone time like the old days before we adopted Shane. Even though we weren't related to these children, we knew it was what God called us to do and after all, it would only be for three months or so we thought. As it turned out, Christopher lived with us for two and a half years and Melissa lived with us for ten years. When you look back at what these kids have had to go through, losing both mom and dad in six months, you wonder how they could emotionally handle it. But because of our relationship with God and what he taught us, we were able to share his unconditional love and grace with these children and raise them as our own. Using the knowledge Helen and I received in raising Shane, we were able to overcome many obstacles that special needs children have. Melissa is now 27 and usually texts Helen or me every day. She now has a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Elliot, that we consider our granddaughter, and so does Melissa, and they live in Nashville, Tennessee. That ministry that God gave to Helen and me of helping raise Melissa now extends to her daughter. When we retired in 2017, we knew that our next, that Mark was talking about last year, what is your next, included moving closer to Melissa and Elliot to continue our ministry to them. So in, June, in January of last year, we moved here to Chattanooga. When you have a close relationship with God and listen to him, he will guide you to make the right choices, though often difficult, that could make a huge difference in life, not only to you, but also to your family and to others you come into contact with. What we thought was going to be just a three-month calling, we now know is a lifetime calling, and Helen and I couldn't be happier that we allowed God to lead us down this path.
May God richly bless you on this Palm Sunday. Our scripture this morning is from Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you this morning for the humility you showed us when you rode in on a donkey, even though you were the king of kings. And because of that, you teach us to be humble. And we want to thank you this morning that you have brought peace to us in a broken and very chaotic world. And that in a world where we are tempted to turn away from you, to be distracted from you, to handle and manage things completely on our own, you are there to provide us freedom from the things that imprison us, even if they aren't visible to anyone else. And so this morning, we just want to praise you for the humility, for the peace, for the freedom that you would bring when you came to this world. And we want to dedicate our time this morning and throughout the week focusing on remembering that and praising you. Amen. I want to thank Rick for sharing his testimony. And boy, we are blessed for them following their next and bringing them here to us. Rick and Helen both lead, they lead a small group together. Uh, Rick's a part of a small group I'm a part of as well. Helen leads a ladies group, which many of you have just fallen in love with her. And we've just been blessed with their generosity and giving. And boy, he tells me what he was like before he was saved. It's hard to believe it, knowing him now. And uh, isn't God good in the way that he transforms us in our hearts? Um, I believe that is possible for every one of us. And uh, I, I look forward to him continuing to do that in my life and in yours as well. Palm Sunday is a Sunday that uh, we are celebrating with literally millions of people right now. They're doing the very same things that we are doing. They're reading scripture. They are giving testimonies of how God has changed them. Uh, They are singing his praises. And they are expecting uh, to experience him again in some significant ways. Uh, There are going to be four primary events we're going to do through Holy Week. Today... It's Palm Sunday, and I hope that you'll join us for lunch after as we spend time with each other. Uh, You didn't let the impending doomsday storms keep you away, uh, so I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll stay for lunch. 
Uh, if you didn't bring anything with you, we, I'm sure we have enough. And, or if not, if you want to run down, grab some pizzas, because I know a lot of kids who would not argue with that if you wanted to bring some pizzas. But we hope that you'll stick around with us. We'll also be having some fun, playing some games, and uh, we'll be celebrating Tyler and Janet McCune as they're expecting their second child, their second daughter. And, um, and so if you would like to give towards that, um, there will be a money tree that you can give towards that as well. Um, so we hope you'll stick, stick around today as we have a lot planned today. On Thursday, we're going to have a Maundy Thursday service. And the Maundy Thursday service is going to be a more intimate time of communion and worship. When I say intimate, we're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, however, it is a time for us to remember communion in a special way. Because it is on Thursday of Holy Week in which Jesus shared the Passover with his disciples. We've, we talked about that last week or two weeks ago. And in uh, and, and doing so, gave us the Lord's Supper and communion and said we should continue this. So we will take a special communion together. We will also be having some very low-key worship. Um, it is meant to be a more reflective service. Um, not to be a big, exciting, rah-rah service. So I hope that you'll join us. That will be at 6.30 on Thursday here. Um, and then on Friday, uh, Holy Week, the is sometimes called Black Friday. Um, not because of uh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> but because it was the day that Jesus was crucified. For the disciples, they believed. They didn't know what to believe. Uh, because Jesus had told them that he was coming back, and yet for their reality, he was gone. And so Stations of the Cross is a reflective time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It's to prepare us. It's for us to be able to pray, to remember. There's going to be things, uh, opportunities for you to touch, to do, uh, do something active, to smell. There are going to be all kinds of experiences, and, and it is just a self-guided, you show up and walk through and I just, uh, this is the first time we've done this as a church. Um, I would love for you to come. You can come by yourself. You can, there's not, I mean, you can literally walk in and walk out without impact and without talking to anybody. Um, or if there are others here and you want to, you can talk. Um, but uh, it's completely up to you. It's self-guided, self-directed from 11 to 1. So on your lunch hour, if you want to come or from 4 to 7. And you'll come in the main foyer. You'll have instructions as soon as you enter. And it will be primarily in the foyer and in the event hall. The auditorium will be open if you'd like to come in for further time of reflection and prayer, whatever you would like. Um, but there won't be any activities going on in here other than that. But we, I would love for you to participate in that. All that is to prepare us for a day of worship on Easter that not only has Jesus loved us and given his life for us, but he rose again. And we believe that he is coming again. So those are our primary activities for Holy Week. I I know you have a lot going on, but I I would encourage you to take part in every one of these because this is the most significant week of our year in which we can remember. While we should do that all year long, this is a special time for us to remember that. Okay, That's that's all that we have going on, and I hope that you will come and be a part of that. Palm Sunday is called that. Many of you, maybe all of you, already know the story of Palm Sunday. It is the triumphal entry. It is a very different picture of what's going to happen the very next weekend. Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem, and he comes in with great fanfare. We have some palm fronds up here. Before you leave today, you're welcome to pick one up and take it. We are going to keep some of these next year on Ash Wednesday. 
which is 40 days before Easter, um, we will have a special service then in which we will burn some of these very uh, palm fronds, and then we will combine those with our prayers, our confessions, our hopes, and our desires. We will burn those to create some ashes and celebrate Ash Wednesday as many do around the world and have for thousands of years. Uh, You're welcome to take one, and uh, kids, they're not swords. I know you'll be tempted, but uh, you're welcome to take one, take them home, and to remember. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two different accounts of the triumphal entry. We're going to begin with Matthew chapter 21, and you may or may not have experienced the triumphal entry um, in the way that I want to share it with you, because if you haven't read the Luke account, uh, you may have a very different picture of what was happening. The triumphal entry was a triumphal failure. And as we look at the story, I want to share with you why that is. But at the same time, it was also a triumphant success. Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1, says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jerusalem <clears throat> excuse me, and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this event is happening at the time of Passover. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Passover, you'll know that that was a major event that would happen once a year. And while it didn't begin this way, the practice of Passover began to have a call that wherever you were, if you did not live in Jerusalem, you would once a year travel to Jerusalem and then you would take Passover in Jerusalem. It's not the way it was set up that God told Moses to do this, but as it spread, as the tradition spread, that's what they did. This time, this week happened at the time of Passover so that the city was absolutely crowded with people coming in to do their job of fulfilling the role of Passover. It's interesting that what you'll find the very next day is also the time when Jesus walks into the temple and says, this will be destroyed, but God will raise it in three days. He overturns the tables, uh, fastens a whip based on the which telling of the story that you read, and, and that is all happening in this same week. Jesus looking down for those coming to celebrate the Passover, being taken advantage of by the money changers, and him overturning that and saying, this should be a house of prayer. Not a den for robbers. 
So this is going to happen the very next day after Palm Sunday. But what we're focused on for today is this time in which Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He knows what's about to happen. He's been telling his disciples, this is going to happen. They have said, okay, okay, okay. But they don't fully understand yet because they haven't seen it. And they haven't fully grasped what it's going to be like or that it's here. If you've ever had an impending thing happening that you are not looking forward to, and in your mind you continue to put it off until it actually happens, this is what the disciples are doing. But in this moment, in this moment as he comes into Jerusalem, Jesus is welcomed with amazing fanfare from others. They're taking their cloaks off. They're putting them on the road. They're cutting the leaves. The reason we call it Palm Sunday is because likely what was most in bloom at this time of year was going to be palm leaves. And so they would cut the palm leaves and they would wave them and they would cheer. It was an amazing moment. And many times we read the story and we just think, wow, the people really get Jesus. (laughs) They really get him here. But what we're going to find in Luke is that this whole act actually moves Jesus to tears, and not tears of joy, but tears of sorrow. If you haven't read the Luke account, it drastically changes it. For us to understand what's going on, and then what Jesus is about to say, we need to understand a couple of things. Number one, what uh, Deidre read just a few minutes ago, this is the prophecy that is being fulfilled on Palm Sunday. This prophecy had been given hundreds of years before this event. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9 through 11, in which he would come in on a donkey. But the truth is, if you're a student of Scripture, if you're a student of the Old Testament, what you also know is that this is not the first time something like this has happened. Another king rode into Jerusalem also on a donkey. And in the minds of every person there who is watching Jesus come into the city... They were thinking of that moment. Do you know who that was? It was Solomon. This is not the first time that they've experienced the king walking in on a donkey. Now, you need to understand a little bit of the significance of the donkey. You already probably know that. It's written in the text. They already, you already know what it means. But a king would enter into a city in one of two ways, either on a horse or a donkey. If he entered in on a horse, it meant he was going to war. If he entered on a donkey, it meant he was coming in at a time of peace. He was bringing peace to the city. Had Jesus come in on a horse, and what many of those who were watching wanted him to come in on a horse was for their minds to go to war with their oppressors. And do you remember who their oppressors are? Somebody say it. Rome. For 70 years now, they have been under the thumb of Rome. Rome has come in and has replaced their priesthood with people who are sympathetic to the reign of the Romans. The temple has been rebuilt by Herod on top of the the early temple, the original temple. And he built it bigger and he built it grander. And his purpose was exactly for this time of the year, for when people were coming in for Passover. When we talk about having the Olympics or the World Cup or some other big event that brings revenue into a city, for Jerusalem, it was Passover. They were coming in. They were filling up the inns. They were eating in the restaurants. They were buying food and grain and wine. They were buying animals in order to sacrifice, to be observant. This was their big time of year. 
And Herod wanted them to see something important and beautiful. When Jesus and the disciples are walking by the temple and one of their experiences together, they look up and they talk about how clean, how white, how glistening the walls are because they are new. They're inlaid with gold. The second temple was literally built on top of the original temple, which means it was bigger, more impressive. People were coming here in this time to see it. And for them, they are remembering a time when another king came in and brought great joy to them. If Jesus had come ready for war to overthrow the Romans, he would not have done it on a donkey. For some of us, what war are we wanting Jesus to fight? If we're honest. What war in our minds do we want Jesus to address today? Think about what you pray about most. Think about within your heart, within your mind, what are the things that draw you the most? What is the thing that you just think, God, if you could just do one thing in this world, this is what I wish you would do. What is the thing in which we want God to go to war for today? Justice? To right a wrong? To heal a hurt? To hurt someone who has wronged you? See, for them, when Jesus walked in, they wanted justice. They wanted him to right a wrong. They wanted him to fix something. And when he came in, he came in with the celebration of someone who was going to liberate them. The Jews wanted to welcome a war hero, someone to save them from Rome. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, it says this. This is where we see this happening before. The king said to them, this is King David, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gion and let Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet there, anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Now, this is exactly what they were looking for. This was the new Solomon, someone who had reigned over prosperity and peace, someone who was wise, someone who was compassionate, someone who ruled well. And in their history, there were not a whole lot of those kings. Most of their leaders in that period from David on were mean, terrible, cruel kings. And now they're under the oppression of someone That they didn't know, that they didn't love, that didn't love nor care about them. And they wanted him overthrown. This is how Solomon enters into great fanfare of the people. This is how Jesus enters in under great fanfare for the people. But Jesus wasn't coming to overthrow the Romans. In fact, the Romans would still roll over them for a long time after Jesus ascended to heaven. But instead, Jesus came proclaiming peace. This is the point of Palm Sunday. 
It is a proclamation of a king that is coming to give peace. Let me read again Zechariah 9, 9 through 11. This is the prophecy of what was happening. This is when he was telling them, even before it happened, this is what will happen when the true king will come. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, if you go through and you read back through Zechariah and you see what God is proclaiming through the prophet of what he is going to do, you find a different picture than what the people were celebrating. Was Jesus worthy of celebration? Yes. But why were they celebrating him? Was it because they celebrated what he was bringing or what they wanted him to bring? I have learned in my own faith and in my own life, there are times that I want God to do something that God himself does not. And there are times that I celebrate him for things for which God himself never did. Do we celebrate God for what he brings to us? Or do we celebrate God for what we hope he will bring to us? For Jesus, Jesus was proclaiming peace. The idea, if they understood what he was saying, they would never have come to the conclusion that he would overthrow Rome. What he says in verse 10 is Jesus was cutting off the chariot. He was cutting the war horse. He was destroying the battle bow. Now, this shouldn't have surprised anyone because Jesus was bringing peace, not war. Now, if you've been with us for a while, if you've been with us through the symbol series, this is a natural progression of everything we've been talking about over the last five weeks. Do you remember? In the beginning, we see that God created all of humanity and it was good. We were created like him. We were meant to live in purity, in hope, in heaven, in paradise. We got to walk with him, literally see him and talk with him. We don't even understand all of the ways that we were like him. As Athanasius shares that we've talked through together, what he shared was that the enemy, Satan, came into the garden and he introduced corruption through sin, through the idea that I myself can actually be more than God. And we were meant to be incorruptible, but we were corrupted by sin. Now, God had a choice to make and God had that choice to say, I'm going to wipe you out. In fact, God said, I'm going to wipe you out. And yet he had favor on one man named Noah. And he wiped out all living creatures on the face of the earth, save for Noah and his family, because he found favor in his eyes. At the end of that, he put a bow in the sky. And as we discussed, that bow was a bow and arrow. Bow, that's the same word for bow and arrow. He took his war bow and he hung it up in the sky to remind us he will not wipe us out like this ever again. Then we have Moses delivering 
through God's work and power out of the land of Egypt and God showing him how they should live as his people from that day forward. And he gave him instructions for the Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like to reclaim life, living like God. And he gave them the tabernacle, which would become the temple, saying, I have now come back into your presence. You have been cast out of the Garden of Eden, but I am now back in your presence. And as we look at the symbolism of the tabernacle and the temple, we find that it mimics many of the pieces of the Garden of Eden as a sign that paradise is still within reach. God's presence is still among us. We looked at communion in which Jesus says, I have come to, to liberate you, to free you. It is going to be my broken body, my blood spilled so that you can have this. And I will be with you, but then when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will come and be with you forever. His presence will be with us forever. Last week we looked at the prayer shawl. And the prayer shawl was understood very closely related to their relationship with Christ and His Word, or God and His Word. They would remember it regularly. They would pray in their prayer cloth and bring their prayer shawl around them. And they would be in God's presence speaking to Him and Him speaking to them. It was an amazing thing that He had given them to remember. Jesus is coming in to seal the deal, to finish it. In fact, we'll know next week we'll talk about Jesus saying it is finished. He was finishing it. But he was coming in ushering in peace, not war. Would you follow Jesus if heaven didn't exist? That is a very real question for all of us. Would we follow Jesus if heaven didn't exist? See, many people follow Jesus because they assume that... This is all going to end and then we get to go be in paradise where everything is great and glorious, like one big, huge vacation. But what if it didn't exist? Would you still follow Jesus? Is he worthy of it? See, for them, those who are watching him, they're taking off their coats and they're waving palm branches. Yes, he is worthy to be worshipped. But they weren't looking for what Jesus was bringing. They were looking for liberation from Rome. It's the very same reason that they wanted a king in the first place. And God said, you don't need a king, you have me. But he gave them a king in Saul and then David and then Solomon and a long line of corrupt kings until they were overthrown by Rome and then they were given King Herod to rule them. He came in to bring them peace. Jesus came in to bring peace, not war. It's interesting that in five days, these very same people who are cheering and shouting and putting their coats down and waving palm branches are going to be the same ones yelling, crucify him in just five days. How do we understand this? What do we take away from this? What does this mean to us today? Jesus was cutting off the chariot, the war horse, the battle bow, similar to the rainbow in the sky. The war with God was over. He was declaring victory. But that victory was not victory just for him. It was victory for us. And it shouldn't have surprised anyone. Because Jesus was bringing peace, not war. John 14, it says this. Peace, this is Jesus speaking. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is Jesus to the disciples shortly before he was crucified to tell them, I'm giving you peace. I am here for peace. Now, the crowds, we, we can be awfully hard on them. But they were shouting Hosanna. Which literally means, Lord, save us now. Lord, help us. They felt oppressed. They felt broken. They needed help. They just didn't understand what Jesus was doing to help. And sometimes for us today, we don't either. See, Hosanna, we take it, we understand who Jesus is. We understand what Jesus did. We receive it. We say it. Hosanna, Lord, save us. But for them, it was save us from our enemies. And what we'll find throughout this week is that as it becomes more and more apparent that Jesus is not there to overthrow Rome, people become increasingly indignant with him because he wasn't there to fight the war they wanted. And on Palm Sunday... Our point is not to remember how they got it wrong. Our point to remember is what did Jesus come to bring us? And he came to bring us peace. What is peace worth today? If you could buy peace, if you could order it from Amazon, how much would you pay? Anxiety is on the rise. People disconnected from each other is on the rise. Depression, discouragement. Despair is on the rise. Depending on who you read, suicide is on the rise. What would you pay for peace? What would you pay for fear to vanish? What would you pay for worry to be a thing of the past? How much would it be worth to not need the next thing to feel good about life? How much would you pay for that? See, this is what Jesus is bringing. And certainly peace could look like an overthrow of Rome, at least for a time. And if you follow through the Old Testament, that they did have times of those peace. And in that, those times of peace, they would eventually turn away from God because things are good. It's one of the reasons I believe the church in America is in decline, while the church around the rest of the world is exploding Because we've experienced peace for so long. We don't always value it ourselves anymore. We're so used to it. Jesus says, my peace I'm going to leave with you. And when we read those things, it's easy to to think about it abstractly, isn't it? To think, yeah, he's coming to bring peace. But have you considered that God wants today to give you peace right now? Have you considered this is one of his utmost priorities for your life is for you to experience peace? What would that be worth to us? The crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, excuse me, Lord, save us now. They wanted to be saved, but they wanted to be saved from the wrong thing. 
Because there's always another oppressor. I mean, here we are 2,000 years removed. There's always another oppressor. There's always another war. There's always another battle. Jesus didn't come to end all those battles for them. He came to end the battle of our hearts and what's going on inside of us. What are the things right now, if you had the ear of Jesus, he was like a genie in the bottle that you could just say, Jesus, would you just, here are my three wishes. What would those wishes be? I'll be honest, sometimes mine are very spiritual. Many times they are not. But ultimately, if we understand the gospel and what's happening on Palm Sunday, what's happening on Monday, Thursday, what's happening on Good Friday, and what's happening on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, we realize we've already received the best thing we can receive. Why is it that we don't live that way? Why is it that we live in the perpetual want, the perpetual need, when Jesus says, I'm already taking care of your needs? I'll tell you, it takes a change of perspective in the way you view the world, the way you view yourself, and more importantly, the way you view God. It changes the way you see. I told you the Luke account was different. And Jesus' response to this recorded there is different. Let's read that together. We'll pick up with him entering into the city. There are some similarities, but then he records something different, a different part of this story. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They weren't real happy about this. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, which I love that. He will be praised, if not by us, by someone else, and if by no one else, by the very creation itself, because whether we acknowledge it or not, he is worthy of being praised. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. We don't read this very much on Palm Sunday. This is not a regular Palm Sunday reading. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Who is he saying this to? He's saying this to certainly the Pharisees. But also the people putting their cloaks on the ground and waving their palm branches. If you could only know what I'm really here for is what Jesus is saying. If you could only grasp that what you're asking of me is so small compared to what I am bringing you. But when we are not in the presence of God, when we are not of the mind of God, very small things occupy us. 
But when we see God, when we see as God sees, we see a much bigger picture. This is Holy Week. Holy Week is a much bigger picture. For some of you, you've been celebrating Holy Week your entire life, and you will do it, and you love it, and it will be over, and then you will move on with your life. And I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't return to those small visions that are wrapped around all of our circumstances. Maintain the big vision of what God is doing. When you are struggling, God is bringing peace. When you're in conflict, Jesus has already brought peace. When things look dark, peace is here. I love what Rick shared. And many people believe this, and it's not true. Once you become a Christian, things get easy. I love what Rick shared. Oh, that's not true. Things can get hard. But there's still peace there. It's hard to explain to somebody. This is why, you know, the drop-in stuff when you just, you know, I, I, I joked with uh, my kids, had some friends over, and I just, I told Emma, she has, she has a, a friend. I said, now, are they a Christian? And, and she said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, listen, I want you, what I want you to do today before you leave them is I want to ask, we should ask them the, the two diagnostic questions. Oh, Dad. <laughs> no, I want, you to ask, I want you to ask them if they were to die today, would they go to heaven or hell? Dad, you know. People do come to Christ with those questions. But only when the Holy Spirit's been working on them before then. Because they got to see a bigger picture. This is why the way we love each other matters. Because who believes our message when we don't? We want to tell you about the love of God. Well, you're one of the meanest people I've ever met. So I don't want to hear about it. Right? This is why Jesus said... People will know. People will know. They'll see it. When you love one another, when you come together, they'll know. They'll know that you belong to me, that I sent you. They'll believe the message. This is why the way we treat each other matters. This is why the way we love people matters. This is why the way we love people who aren't followers of Jesus matters. I don't know of any account, correct me if I'm wrong, in which Jesus came up to an unbeliever and said, you're going to hell. Find one. I am wrong lots of times. I try not to admit it. Deidre will attest to that. But find me a place in Scripture in which Jesus condemned an unbeliever. Instead, he condemned those who should have known the truth and yet still lived a lie. Because they encouraged others to do the same. Remember what he said about the Pharisees? <laughs> you go out and you so distort the gospel that you raise believers up that are twice the sons of the devil that you are. But see, people who love don't do that. People who love experience Christ. This is what he's doing. This is what he's saying. 
They are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Who's in? Your enemies are surrounding you. They're barricading you in. Who's in? They'll tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, it wasn't easier being a Christian. It was harder, but it was way more beautiful, and it was absolutely worth it. See, this is the big mindset. The big mindset is I will go through suffering in order to experience this peace. I will go through discouragement in order to experience this peace. I will turn away from the things that all my friends are valuing so that I can experience this peace. I will walk away from all the things that I see the world saying I am supposed to care about because I want to experience this peace. But that is not what the people, that was not what the crowds were looking for. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem's misunderstanding of his purpose. He wept over it. You know what my greatest fear is as a believer? I mean, I have fears. To tell you I don't have fears would be for me to outright lie to you. I have fears. But you know what my greatest fear is? As a follower of Jesus, that I will miss what he's trying to do and say. That this is all what I'm, I'm following a path that's not real or true. I don't believe that I am. But there's a part of me that says, Jesus, gosh, I just want what's real and what is true. And I will tell you, over the last 30 years or so of my faith, he has had to change me. Because there have been times I have passionately followed what I thought was true and it was not. His word has illuminated much of that for me. All of, reading all of scripture has shown me things that I have believed and ways that I have acted that were not consistent with God working within me. And, and he continues to show those things to me. I think that's just the way life works. It's the way sanctification works. Jesus swept over their misunderstanding of his purpose. Now, what Jesus does here is what Jesus regularly does. When Jesus comes to town, he often challenges the things that are most dear to us, doesn't he? (laughs) What are the things that are most dear to you? The things that you protect, you cover, make sure nothing happens to. He challenges us. People would come up to Jesus and they would say things like, oh, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I believe you're the Messiah. Okay, but unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. No part with me. What? Oh, Jesus, I, you're so great and I want everything you're selling and I want it all. I want the whole thing. Okay, but just understand this. So you hate your father and mother, your brother and sister. You don't love me more than all of them. You can't be with me. What? See, Jesus did not understand public relations. He did not understand marketing. And had he had a marketer with him, things could have been different, right? Right? Don't you sometimes think that? I do. Sometimes I think, Gee, oh, come on. Can you make this a little easier? 
And as I've shared with you before, there have been times he has had to change my heart in which I actually believed we could do things as a church in a way that would expand the narrow gate that leads to life a little wider than Jesus did. See, there's a real mindset in the church of this today, and I had to repent of that. Somehow I could do what Jesus not, not couldn't do, wouldn't do. That way is narrow, and only a few are going to find it. Let's stop living in a way that we're trying to broaden it, because the broad gate's not a good option. Jesus came to town. He challenges the things that are most dear to us because he's supposed to be that. The pearl of great price, the treasure buried in a field. Let me ask you this, and I want you to consider that. I don't want you to, I don't want you, it might say anything. I mean, you can, but I don't, this is not, the point is not for you to say anything, but I want you to consider over this week, what do we want most from Jesus? What do you want most from Jesus? Is it peace with him, peace with God, or is it something else? See, your answer will will determine his response to you. They all wanted something from Jesus. They did. They wanted salvation, but not the one he was bringing. A different one is what they wanted. As I close out today and This is what I would leave you. It would be arrogance to say, those people didn't get Jesus, but we do. That would just be outright arrogance. There's so many days I don't get Jesus. I want him to morph into something I want him to be rather than receive him as he truly is. I want him to fix my problems. I want him to intervene in my circumstances. I want him to make people pay that hurt people I love. That's not who Jesus is. It's arrogance to believe that we're better than these people. But we can worship him well. We can worship him well. If you want to come up and get a palm branch and wave a palm branch, come wave a palm branch. Please, if you brought one, if you're wearing one shirt, don't take your cloak off and set it down for anybody. Please leave it on. But we can worship well and recognize he's bringing to us the end of the war. Remember, what he could have done, still could, was wipe out all of us from the face of the planet. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. That's what we deserve. Our self-importance tells us, oh, he can't do that. We're too important. We're too important. No, we're not. I mean, look around at what he's created. Do you think he couldn't do better? I mean, come on. (laughs) He could do better. But he chose not to. He chose to rescue us. Athanasius asked the question, is he truly a good God if he gave up on us and didn't redeem us? Is he really a good God? Uh, It's not for us to presume or to judge whether he's good or not. He says he is. He is our creator. He has demonstrated in all ways he is good. But had he wiped us out, 
if he had any peers, would they go, oh, yeah, that's a good God. He did a good job over there. Created a bunch of people, then they were corrupted, and he wiped them all out. That's not for us to determine, but it is for us to realize that was an option. And he has been working from that moment, from the moment the thought entered Adam and Eve's mind, from that very moment, he has been working to bring us back to what he created us to be. I will tell you this, we're not there yet, but we're getting really close. The things we struggle through, the things we struggle with in this life and in this place, it just would be easier if we didn't have any of the sorrows and pains and hurts and fears and injustices in the world. It would be easier, wouldn't it? Just to faithfully follow. But he's left us here and he's left those things here with us. We need to remember this week, he did not come to save us from our circumstances. He came to save us from his wrath. And he came on a donkey to bring us peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus says, my peace I give you. Let us worship the one who brings us ultimate peace. Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. As we close, if you would like to come up and just worship, you can do that. If you would like to come up and just pray, you can do that. Perhaps you're in a place of just saying, I have put Jesus in a box that he does not belong in and does not define him. I need to let him out. Maybe that is what you need to do today. Maybe you need to just pray and ask God, please open my eyes so that I see as you see, not as I see, but as you see. If you'd like to come and pray and just submit before him, you can do that. If you need to come and ask him forgiveness and ask him to change your heart, you can do that. If you'd like someone to pray with you, there will be someone up here to pray with you. If you'd like to pray alone, you can pray alone. Let us worship him. And let me encourage you to come be with us Thursday night. Join us in worship. I know we don't do many of those. We don't do any Thursday night services. So come and be a part of that. Come Friday and consider and remember what Jesus has done for us. Let it wash over you and change you. Let it nourish you so that you can experience the peace that Jesus rode in the donkey to bring us. Father, God, I thank you that you brought us peace and not war. You brought us grace and not judgment. You brought us forgiveness, not conviction. And Father, I pray that as we worship, we will remember you. We will remember your gift. We will remember that Jesus came 
Father, I thank you for the humility in which we got to see in him and his life. I pray that you would help us to live our lives in humility. Help us to be humble servants. Help us to be obedient. Help us to follow you as Jesus has called us to do. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you came in as our conquering king, not to conquer from an invading army, but to conquer sin. To end the battle once and for all for those who would call out for Christ to be their Savior. We sing Hosanna to you, Lord, save us. And we say thank you because you have saved us through his blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.